Good morning. What a joy it is to gather each Sunday as the local expression of the church here at King's. So excited to continue our series through the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we began our journey with Jesus in the final days of his life. We, we turned to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, to see what Paul tells us about these last days of Jesus' life. And this is what he says. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He calls this first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Last week we began really before the cross of Christ. We were moving towards the cross today. Last week, we, we saw Jesus betrayed. <clears throat> we saw Jesus arrested. We saw Jesus abandoned, rejected, denied, and beaten. This week, we'll see him flogged, crucified, and buried. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says it twice, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. All that takes place in Christ's life leading up to his death and resurrection was according to the scriptures. Our God, our God is in control. All of this that we see in Mark 14, 15, and 16 was ordained by our sovereign God. From the, the very first chapters of Genesis, we see a promise that Jesus will Come, and he will die for our sins. Genesis 3.15 talks about the seed of the woman and the seed of the snake. Yes, the seed of the snake will be crushed. One of the books we're reading in the evenings with our, with our boys talks about the snake crusher. And the snake crusher comes, and he crushes the head of the snake. Genesis 3.15. Yet this seed of the woman, his hill, will be struck. His hill will be struck. So from Genesis 3.15 on, we're looking for this one who will crush the snake. According to the scriptures. Just in his crucifixion today, we see the fulfillment of Psalm 69, of Psalm 22, of Isaiah 53, and of Amos 8. That's just a few. There's, there's hundreds of prophecies that Jesus fulfills in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. This was God's plan from before time began. It, there's no plan B. This is plan A. God knew this was going to happen, and he knew this is how he could redeem and reconcile man to himself. Just as the recipients of the Gospel of Mark in Rome Today, we can be greatly encouraged because God is in control. Yes, their suffering and their trials and our suffering and our trials are ordained by God. And we can draw great encouragement and strength from finding life in the crucified Messiah. Today in Mark 15, what I want us to walk away with is find life in Jesus, the one who suffered for sinners. Find life in Jesus, the one who suffered for sinners. I'm going to read verses 1 to 21 in chapter 15. 
If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to pick one up right in front of you and turn there to Mark 15, verses 1 to 21, and then we'll pray. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do so, do do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace That is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak. And put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Our Father, we we thank you for your word. We're told that it's God-breathed. We know it's inspired. We know that from it, we learn about your plan. So God, we, we pray now. By your spirit, would you give us insight into your word? God, open our eyes, pierce our hearts, that we may see Jesus for who he is. To see that he is the the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. To see that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give give his life as a ransom for many. To see that he is the one who saves sinners. Father, we pray. That this scripture, yes, the historicity of it, just recounting the cross of Christ, we pray that it would radically transform our lives. God, that we could not leave this place not being changed. We pray all this in the, in the name of Christ. Amen. As we walk through Mark 15, we really are just going to take the historical approach of it. We're going to look at the pre-crucifixion, all of it leading up to the crucifixion. Then we're going to jump into the crucifixion, and then we're going to finish with post-crucifixion. We're going to see what really is the central piece of the scriptures, but the centrality of our existence. This is what it is, the cross of Christ. 
the cross of Christ. It's what, it's what Mark has been building up to. It's what Mark is, wants us to understand. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. This is the King of the Jews. This is the Son of God, the Christ. We've seen this throughout the Gospel of Mark. We've seen who Jesus is. We've been on a journey with Jesus, understanding how to follow him. And now we get to this central piece of this gospel, and it's the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ changes everything in our lives. Jesus has already told us, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Here, he is taking up his cross, and he will not come down on his own accord. Save yourself is what we're going to see, and Jesus does not. Because he knows that if he comes down and he saves himself, the nations will not be saved. This is where we are today in Mark 15. Before Christ is crucified, what we just read in 1 to 21, we see him really interacting with several different people. The first we see in 1 to 5 is Pilate and Jesus. You see, Pilate, he came to Judea in AD 26. This is about seven years prior to this account. He served there as prefect for 10 years. He was a harsh administrator who despised the Jews. He didn't want to care for them. He didn't want to do anything for them. He despised them. He asked Jesus because the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the council, they have now delivered Jesus over to Pilate because they want him dead. Yes, they have said, you are a blasphemer. And he should have been stoned, but they want him crucified publicly. And they know in order to do this, they need to go through the Roman emperor. So he is presented to Pilate. And Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? As Matt already pointed out, we see this five times in Mark 15. The king of the Jews. This is a very ironic phrase, right? Because what's happened is this. The chief priests and scribes, they can't go up to Pilate and say, hey, Pilate, this guy's claiming to be the Messiah. He, he's claiming to be the son of God. Um, Pilate would have gone, I don't care. Like, who cares about that? That's you. Like, that's for you Jews. But this is what's up. When he says, hey, Jesus is claiming to be the king of the Jews, that is a full frontal attack on the emperor. Caesar is Lord, not Jesus is Lord. Caesar is king, not Jesus is king. So now, if he can, if he can say Jesus is the king of the Jews, this is, in, this is in the chief priest's mind, if they can say that, then Pilate will have the right to crucify him. So Jesus is asked this question, are you, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, this is Jesus' response, you have said so, you have said so. Right? It's an affirmation. I think it's an affirmation of it. Yet Jesus is really saying yes, but not the way you think. 
Yes, but not the way you think. You have no idea. In another gospel, we see, we see actually Jesus challenging Pilate's authority. He says, you, you actually wouldn't have any authority unless I gave it to you. right? So Jesus knows who he is. Pilate doesn't understand who he is. Yet, the chief priests and the scribes are trying to get Jesus to be accused of being the high or being the king of the Jews. Because if that's the case, he'll be convicted of high treason, a leader of a resistance, and then he can be crucified. The context, I just want, I want to bring this home real quick for us. In, in the context of this, when, when Mark was writing this, he's writing to a persecuted church. The believers in Rome are being persecuted. Think about this. Jesus is before Pilate. He's been before this council. It's the same thing that's happening to the believers there. They're, they're being encouraged. Mark is encouraging them. They can relate to Jesus on trial. They would suffer the same fate. We saw that two weeks ago in chapter 13, 9 to 13. You will be handed over to governments. And you'll be persecuted for my sake. Understanding that it was God's will for Jesus to suffer and die prepared them and prepares us to suffer and die with faith and dignity. Right? Yes, Jesus is a good example for us here. But that's not the full reason he came. Next we see, as this trial before Pilate progresses, we see, we see Barabbas in Jesus. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner. This is an annual tradition, the release of one prisoner. So Pilate's thinking, all right, I'm going to give them the worst of the worst. I'm going to present before them Barabbas. Barabbas, it says, is a murderer and really the leader of an insurrection. This dude's bad. And, and Pilate's going, all right, this will be good. Like I can, I can just kind of get Jesus released and then Barabbas, we can kill him. Yet... The people's hatred, the people's disdain for Jesus, fueled by the scribes and chief priests, drive them to say, no, we would rather have Barabbas released, a murderer, an insurrectionist. We would rather have him released than the king of the Jews. And they yell out. It says they, they yell out. Crucify him. Pilate even says, what evil has he done? And they shout all the more, crucify him. And then we see what's driving Pilate. As Barabbas is released, he desires to satisfy the crowd. He desires to satisfy the crowd. This desire to save face, to please people, to continue in power, that's what drives instead of knowing that this man here has done no evil. He releases Barabbas to satisfy the crowd, and he, he releases them over to be flogged. And this, as I was reading the description of this, this scourging, this, this flogging, oh my goodness, like this, this is intense. They would have stripped Jesus. They did this. They stripped Jesus, and then they had this, this leather whip that had these these, these strips of leather coming off of them. And on the end of these strips of leather were, were bits of bone or lead shards that as they hit Jesus, the Savior, the Lamb, the Son of God, 
the Messiah as they whipped him. Those shards would stick into his back and then they would rip it out so that he just was a mangled piece of meat. Many times this would cause, cause death where they wouldn't even get to crucifixion. This is what our Savior went through, the, the suffering of Jesus. And this is before the cross. This is before the emotional, spiritual struggle Jesus went through. This was the physical struggle. And then it says he's delivered over to be crucified. In 16 to 20, we see the soldiers in Jesus. They clothe him in purple. They, put a, they twist together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And then they salute him as king of the Jews. You see, they saw him as a rival to the emperor. So they mocked him. They stripped him. And they made fun of him. And then they put the clothes back on him. And then they lead him out to be crucified. And then lastly, before the crucifixion, before we get to Golgotha, the place of the skull, we meet another man, and his name is Simon. Simon and Jesus. I want you to think about this for a second. This one always just blows my mind. Simon, it says, Simon of Cyrene, he's coming home from a far country, so he's traveling back in, and they see him there, and they're like, hey, bro, come on over here a second. I need you to carry this cross because this man's too weak. I don't, know, I don't know what Simon did. I don't know if he put up a fight. I don't know if he was like, like trying to get out of there or not. But we know that he carried the cross for Christ. He was coming in from the country. He's the father of Alexander and Rufus. And he takes this cross to Golgotha. You may think it, think it interesting or, or just like kind of strange that here Simon is, we're told about his sons, Alexander and Rufus. Uh, this is really neat. Mark is writing to the believers in Rome. And at the end of Paul's letter, Romans 16, 13, these guys are mentioned. You see, something happened this day that changed Simon, Alexander, and Rufus's life. They met the suffering servant. They met the Lamb of God. They met Jesus the church would have known these guys. So as, as Mark's writing this, he's like, oh, Alexander and Rufus, they're part of the church in Rome. So he put them in there. They're like, yes, we know this guy. Jesus had already told us that we would have to carry our crosses. Simon carried his cross to Golgotha. It's not the main point of this text, but this is a model for us. Right? Take up your cross and follow me. Could you imagine being Simon? Being called in to, cut, to, to walk what he probably thought was a criminal's walk. A criminal's cross he's carrying to Golgotha. So all of this happened prior, it said in the morning, till about 9 to 10 a.m. All of this is happening. And now we get to the crucifixion. We get to Golgotha, the place of a skull. They bring him to Golgotha. And many of us are familiar with this. 
Many of us have heard this story. Some of us in here may have crosses around our neck. We have crosses in our churches. The cross and the crucifixion is something many times we gloss over because we're familiar with it. Right? We have tattoos of crosses on our arms. We wear crosses. Many times we forget what it's all about. The crucifixion demands our attention. For some reason in our in our our scheduling of sermons, right? This is supposed to be the time of year that we celebrate baby Jesus coming to earth. The incarnation, God with us, Emmanuel, right? Yet here we know and we see the savior's death. Yes, we celebrate the birth of the savior, but the birth of the savior was not the focal point of Jesus' coming. Yes, we get to celebrate it, and we should celebrate it. God with us. God coming, born of a virgin. But this, the crucifixion, what we celebrate Friday before Easter, the crucifixion is the focal point. Here we see the Son of God, the Messiah, lay his life down for sinners. In our place, he stood condemned. His arms and feet are nailed to a cross where he would receive the full wrath of God meant for us. In verse 22, this is what it says, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, but put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to him to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Listen to this verse. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, This man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many others, many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. At the cross, 
at the cross, we see God's wrath being exhausted. First John chapter 2, 2 says, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and for the whole world. At the cross, Jesus is exhausting God's righteous anger, his wrath, so that we may not experience it. Crucifixion was the cruelest and most degrading form of punishment ever conceived. Here, it is the focal point of the gospel. Here, God deals definitively with human rebellion. And at the same time, he makes provision for our salvation. Jesus' obedience reverses the original disobedience in the garden. This is what the cross does. At, in these verses, we see several responses while Jesus is on the cross. We see rejection and we see belief. The soldiers reject him. The robbers reject him. The crowd rejects him. The chief priests and scribes reject him. We see them walking by and wagging their heads at him and saying, come down. He said, you can rebuild the the temple in three days, but you cannot even save yourself. We also see belief. Belief. We know of three people that responded to Jesus on the cross. The first, not in Mark, but in the other Gospels, we see the robber. One of the robbers turns to Jesus. and He says, I believe. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Secondly, we see the centurion here. He says, truly, this man was the son of God. Seems as if something has clicked. Seems as if in the way Jesus died, the centurion has believed. And then the other one we see, and we'll see it in a few minutes, is Joseph of Arimathea. He goes and asks for Jesus' body. He's searching for the kingdom of God. And he finds it in Christ Jesus. Here we're introduced to the death of Christ. The sixth to the ninth hour, as we were reading, you saw this was total darkness. Darkness fills the interval between the crucifixion and Jesus' death. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The hour and the cup have come. Jesus prayed, God, if, if, if you would... Let this hour pass. Let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but your will be done. The hour has come. The cup of wrath is being poured out on Christ. This is a a quotation from Psalm 22, verse 1. Jesus is crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the people go, he's calling Elijah. Let us see whether Elijah will come down and save him. Why Elijah? What's going on here? One commentator, I think it's helpful to read so that we can see the importance of the Elijah factor must not be minimized in these stories. For Elijah was thought to be the forerunner of the great and terrible day of Yahweh. In other words, this punctuates that we are meant to see these events as signs that the end is at hand and that God's judgment is falling on God's people. Listen to this. God's judgment is falling on God's people in the person of Jesus and in the place of the temple. God's judgment is falling on Christ 
instead of us. The death of Jesus here was caused by God. He ordained this. The death of Jesus here wasn't one he deserved. It wasn't one he was indebted to. Yet he took it joyfully. (laughs) And he took all of it. We see here the death of death and the death of Christ, right? Like this is what's happening. In Jesus' death, death is being done away with. And then as we see there's a loud cry and he breathed his last. From the other gospels, we know what this loud cry was. It is finished. It is finished. The separation from the Father from whom he had been in close-knit relationship with before the creation of the world for all eternity. He's separated from his Father. Just imagine the, the spiritual depths <laughs> that Jesus is going through. Just the, the, the gravity of this situation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The wrath of God being poured out on Christ. And then he cries, it is finished. And at that point, he released his spirit and he died. Jesus took our sin. Jesus took our shame. The the question for us that we need to answer is, is your sin, is your sin on you or on Christ in whom there is no sin? Is your sin on you, or is it on Christ? 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Where's your sin? Christ took your sin on the cross. If you will turn to him in faith. If you will turn from your sin and trust in Christ Jesus, your guaranteed life that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, today we're going to end. We're going to end in a tomb. Yet Sunday's coming. Right? We're going to end in a tomb where the, where the, de- where the body of Christ is laid for three days. Yet the resurrection is coming. Jesus died a death that we deserve. He died for our sin. He did not stay in the grave. Three days later, he rose victoriously. And that's why we know and that's our confidence that this did away with sin and death. This took our shame. And it's a free offer. It's a free gift. The love of God on display at the cross. Jesus took our death and he died in darkness. He died alone. He died, yet opened the way to God. It says right here, the curtain was torn. The curtain was torn. The writer to the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, he he takes this imagery and this is what he says in 19 and 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... 
by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. When Jesus' body was torn, he opened a way for us to be right with God. And that's, that's imaged in the tearing of the curtain in the temple. The curtain was torn. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The offer stands. Find life in Christ. Find life in Christ today. Find life in the crucified Messiah who died for our sins. We see the centurion, the centurion who is watching, right? Watching all this unfold. The beating of Jesus, the hammering of the hands and the feet of Jesus. He sees it all unfold. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is finished. Count not their sins against them. This is what he's hearing. And it says that as he saw the way he breathed his last, this is what he says, truly, this man was the son of God. This is belief on display. The centurion's exclamation is the climax of the crucifixion scene and one of the Christological high points of the gospel. Truly, this man was the son of God. The suffering of Jesus on the cross, which utterly contradicts both Jewish messianic ideals, right? The king who has come and he's going to reign. He's going to usher in the kingdom. In Hellenistic, the Greek divine man conceptions becomes by an act of God, the window into the heart and meaning of Jesus, the significance of which is only captured in the confession, the son of God. The centurion's heart is opened and he confesses, Truly, this man was the Son of God. This is where Mark began the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The declaration at his baptism, the declaration at the, at the transfiguration, the declaration of, of Peter, who do they say that I am? And now the centurion declares, truly this man is the Son of God. And then Mark gives us a little insight on a few women. He says they saw, they saw it all. Mary Magdalene, who in Luke 8 we find out was delivered from demon possession. <clears throat> Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, not much known about this lady. Salome, the wife of Zebedee, mom of James and John. The eyewitness account of the crucifixion. So what did the cross accomplish? What did the cross accomplish? It accomplished reconciliation. We can now be reconciled to God because our sin has been done away with. It's accomplished freedom from sin. Jesus took it. He took it all, past, present, and future. It defeated death. Oh, death, where is your sting? It's no more. Christ has defeated it. It's given us new life. And all the new covenant promises come with it. A few years back, John Piper, thinking about the death of Christ, <clears throat> he wrote 50 reasons why Jesus came to die. <laughs> 50 reasons why Jesus came to die. I'm not going to read all of them. But it's pretty amazing to think through why Jesus came to die. 
to just a few to absorb the wrath of God. To achieve his own resurrection from the dead. To show his own love for us. To become a ransom for many. To provide the basis of our justification. To take away our condemnation. To bring us to faith and keep us faithful. To make us holy, blameless, and perfect. To give us a clear conscience. To ransom people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus didn't come down because he knew the outcome. Just as, just as Caleb said earlier, there will be one day a great multitude. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're going for. That's why we're here. We're here to, to rejoice in the death of Christ and go tell someone about it. Jesus gave up, gave up his life for us. And then we see he's buried according to the scriptures. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in, a, <clears throat> in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled, he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Then listen to 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. We're introduced to Joseph of Arimathea here. He asked for Jesus' body. He's a respected member of the council. He's probably, he was probably on this council as Jesus is brought before the high priest. But it says here he was looking for the kingdom of God. And he takes courage and he goes to Pilate. And we see the burial, burial of Christ. Pilate was surprised Jesus was already dead. He says, hey, let me make sure. The centurion comes and says, yes, he's dead. Jesus really died. He wasn't put in the tomb half dead. He really died on the cross. One of the other gospels tells us that he was stuck with a spear and that blood and water flowed out. He was really dead. And Pilate grants his body to be taken. Joseph takes him, wraps him in a linen shroud and puts him in a tomb that had been cut out. And over this tomb, he rolls a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And then we see the eyewitnesses these women who were there, they were in Galilee with Jesus. They were at the crucifixion of Jesus. And now they're eyewitnesses to where he was buried. This is important. Next week we're going to see that these are the women who go to the tomb. They didn't get it wrong. They didn't go to the wrong tomb. That's why, that's why Mark tells us here in 47, they saw it. And then they go back. And something's different. As our band comes up, I want to conclude <clears throat> with this quote. The passion narrative at its heart is about the cross. And it still holds true that how we react to the cross of Christ tells us a great deal about ourselves. Ray Steadman once called the cross God's great plowshare, 
ripping through the hypocrisy in our lives and laying us bare for all, including, including ourselves, to see. I believe this to be true. It explains why, for example, Muslims insist that it was not Jesus, but Judas on the cross. For God would never do that to Jesus. The cross is the great truth serum and litmus test. Our reaction to it shows what we really believe about God and about life. Sometimes, sometimes it tells us more than we want to know about ourselves. Some are all, all too ready to wear the cross, but not to bear the cross. We often prefer a health and wealth gospel to one of suffering and service. We join churches because they meet our needs, not because they give us the most opportunity to serve and sacrifice for the gospel. Yet still, the cross beckons us to come and stand in its shadow. Whether we do so or not is the ultimate test of our discipleship. Let us, let us find life in the crucified Messiah. Let us find life in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You're patient with us. Father, we're grateful for that patience. Father, would you, would you give us eyes to see? Father, may the cross and what Christ accomplished on the cross lead us each day as we engage with our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers. And Father, may we see a, an abundance of laborers raised up from this harvest that is plentiful. All to your glory and our good. It's in Christ's Christ name we pray. Amen.